Welcome to the Gateway Church Podcast. We're so glad that you're here. We pray God speaks to you through this message and through His Word today. For more information about our church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Now let's tune in to this week's message. The enemy has been attacking the home since the garden. And I don't know if you've noticed this, but it seems like in COVID, that assault has gone to, a, to an all-new level. And today, we are going to talk pretty bluntly, and we're going to cover a lot of ground. If you have a Bible, I want you to open up to James chapter 3. It's actually where we're going to end the message. And I, I have to tell you from the onset of this message, uh, because we're covering so much ground, uh, I'm not going to be able to develop everything. This, this message is more like how Proverbs reads, because we just need to cover a lot of ground. The title of this message is 10 Ways to Destroy My Home. How many of you wake up in the morning, now remember this series is not for married people, it's not for parents, it's for anyone who lives somewhere. How many of you live somewhere? Put your hand up please. Okay, great. Even if you don't live somewhere, that's where you live. (laughs) Nowhere is where you live. Okay, this is for all of us this series. Single, married, parents, not parents, it's for all of us. Home is somewhere for all of us. And this message, I mean, how many of you wake up every morning thinking, you know what my goal is today? To destroy my home. None of us wake up thinking that. But unfortunately, we all on a daily basis, are doing things to contribute to the destruction of our own home. And this entire message is about one subject, 10 points. Like you're you're not even going to make it to lunch. We're going to be here so long. We're not even going to have an 11 o'clock service. We're just going to let them come on in in the back. This message is about one subject your mouth. More specifically, your words. One of the fastest ways to burn your house down is to use your words. And this is a really strong message, but hear my heart. I'm not trying to attack anybody or condemn anybody. I'm just trying to give you what I felt like I heard this week. All right. So can we get to it? Let's get right to it. Hopefully you're taking notes. If you're not taking notes, I don't mean to make you feel bad, but it's just one way of communicating to anyone who lives in your home that you don't care about your home. This is going to be rough. I'm just telling you. I'm serious. Don't take notes for you. Take notes for them. The Holy Spirit wants to speak to you about you for their good, not just yours. Number one. We're going to walk through the 10 things I do that destroy my home. And I'm personalizing it. These are not me things. These are us things. But I'm personalizing it so it's a little easier for you to digest. Okay? These are all us things. First thing we do that destroys our home. Number one, I underestimate the power of my tongue. If we're going to talk about the tongue, we have to first talk about the power of the tongue. Proverbs 18, 21. The tongue can bring death or life. 
Those who love to talk will reap the consequences. Anybody got a, a, somebody who loves to talk in their life? You know, diarrhea of the mouth. Like you're a texter and they're a four-hour caller, you know? Here, here's what it says about all of us. Anyone who talks loves to talk. It's not just the people who have diarrhea of the mouth. We will all reap the consequences, good or bad, from the words we use. Here's another way to say it. There is a direct connection between the quality of your life and the quality of your speech. It's what Proverbs 18 is trying to help us understand. Now, before you go too far with that, and some people do, it's called name it and claim it. Some people take this verse and go, I can speak things into existence. Okay, let's just remind ourselves Yes, we were created in the creator's image. And when the creator spoke, what happened? It was created. Okay, but you're not the creator and neither am I. Okay, name it and claim it has, has kind of set this goal where they want to get God's words, really God, to align with their words. They want God to co-sign whatever they say and speak it into existence, when the goal all along has actually been to get your words to align with God. Name and claim it gets it backwards. Okay, I can't just speak something into existence and I'm reminded of that every week of my life. Boys, clean your room. Boys, take a shower. I got two teenage boys. How many of you know? There's like a, 14% chance it's going to happen, right? Okay, we can't just speak things into existence. Here's Proverbs 18, 21. This is kind of my perspective of the verse. And if you're taking notes, write this down. Words are free until you use them. How you use them determines how much they cost you. Words are free until you decide to use them. And once you use them, how you use them determines how much they cost you. And they can bring you life or death. You have to decide. Second, the second thing I do that destroys my home every time I do it, I lie. I lie. When I lie, I'm eroding the foundation of my home. Psalm 34, verse 12 and 13. Does anyone want to live a life that is long and prosperous? Anybody want the Star Trek life? Live long and prosper? See, you thought they came up with that. Now they stole it. How many of you want to live a long life and it be prosperous? Just put your hand up. Come on. Okay. Watch what scripture says is the key. Then, if that's what you want, then keep your tongue from speaking evil and your lips from telling lies. Think about it like this. If it's easy for you to lie to me, you have made it hard for me to listen to you. When you lie to me, I don't know when you're lying and when you're not. And the more you lie, the more confusing it is for the people you love. Because the same mouth that says I love you also lies to me. 
so as I love you, even the truth. Do you see how far this can go? Is that really worth a lie? If I lie to my children, is it worth it? If it takes them to a place where they begin to question whether I love you is even the truth, no lie is worth that. Man, listen, I'm not attacking anybody. I used to struggle with this big time in my late teen years, pretty much all my teen years in my early 20s. I was a literal liar. I, didn't, I hadn't learned how to harness the gift God had given me. And so I just made stuff up all the time. You know what I learned? It's exhausting to be a liar because you can't remember what you told everybody. I don't remember what I told you. I don't remember what I told you. I don't remember what I told you. I told you I have two million in the bank. I told you yada, yada, yada. I don't remember. And you know what the enemy actually convinces, convinces us of when we're lying about something? That it's more exhausting to confess. Have you ever noticed that? Preston, it will cost you everything if you confess, if you tell the truth. So just keep lying. It's actually the other way around. And if you struggle with lying, this one-liner is for you. It is more exhausting to carry a lie than it will ever be to confess the truth. If you're exhausted, stop lying. Don't lie anymore. Just tell the truth. Well, Preston, it might cost me my marriage. Well, you don't even realize that it's already costing you peace in your marriage anyways. Here's one more thing to remember when you struggle with lying. Liars eventually lose all their listeners. If you consistently lie to the people you love, they will eventually stop listening to you. When I lie, I remove trust, which is an absolute necessity in every relationship. When I lie, I remove trust from the equation of my relationships and therefore take away one of the strongest parts, parts of the foundations for every relationship. Trust, I trust you. When I lie to you, I make it easy for you not to trust me. Third thing we do that destroys our home. I don't submit my tongue to its creator. When I don't submit my tongue to its creator, I'm, I am slowly but surely destroying my home. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ and you have been for any amount of time, you're probably already very aware of the fact that you don't belong to you anymore. The Bible says very plainly, you and I were bought with a price. Anybody remember what that price is? The precious blood of Jesus, which we've been celebrating these last couple of weeks. We should be celebrating it every day. I wouldn't be me without that blood. Okay, I've been bought with a high price. I no longer belong to me. I know I call it my mouth. Physically, it's mine. Legally, spiritually speaking, it's his. It belongs to him. He bought it. Okay, how many of us, before we speak, think about submitting our tongue to its creator. And how many of us just think, it's my mouth. I can say whatever I want. My mouth, my life. So I'm just gonna say whatever I want. Okay, let me ask you a really sweet question. How's that working out for you? 
Sing whatever you want, whenever you want. David clearly understood the power of the tongue based on many of the things he said in scripture about it, as well as how he used it so often. And let me just show you two prayers that David prayed that I love in regards to his mouth. Psalm 19, verse 14. David says, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart, and we're gonna talk about the connection between those two things in a moment. May the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be pleasing to you, O Lord, my rock and my redeemer. God, may you be pleased with all of the words that come out of my mouth. How often do we pray that prayer? How often in traffic, when the 101 is down to one lane and it's taken forever to go a mile and a half, how often do we just pray out loud, oh Lord, may the words from my mouth and the meditations in my heart be pleasing to you. We don't, why? Because we don't wanna have to worry about not pleasing him in that moment. I feel it, so I wanna do it. This is one of the problems with our society today. If I feel it, that makes it right. We all know this, but let me just remind me and you. Right is right, wrong is wrong. That's not a feeling. My tongue is his, and daily I've gotta submit it to its creator. If you say whatever you want, whenever you want, it is undeniable evidence that your mouth is not submitted to its creator. And that's one of the fastest ways to destroy your home. Say whatever you want, whenever you want. Say whatever you feel all the time. And I'm not talking about real feelings. I'm talking about rash, in the moment feelings. Just say whatever I want, whenever I want. Number four. Oh, whoa, whoa, hold on. Before, this is one of my favorite illustrations. I want you to think about this. If, if because uh, I didn't read you the second one. Psalm 141, verse three. David says, set a guard, O Lord, over my mouth. So he literally doesn't just say, may the words of my mouth be pleasing to you. He goes further and he says, would you set a guard over my mouth? Keep watch over the door of my lips. Let me paint this for you because this is how I think we should all see it. Imagine if God stationed a military garrison of a thousand soldiers in front of your mouth. And every time you wanted to use a word, you had to go through them to get access to it. Let me say it more in the form of a one-liner. What would it change about how you speak if God stationed a military garrison between you and the vault of your vocabulary. And every word you wanted to use, you had to go through them. And the worse the word, the more harsh the word, the more you had to fight through them to get access to it. No word is worth that big of a fight. David got it. Lord, would you set a guard over my mouth? Don't let me just say whatever I wanna say. Why as believers do we think we could ever say whatever we want, whenever we want? This is one of my cautions to, to any of us who are tempted on social media. Before you hit 
send, publish, whatever it is. Ask him. Lord, is this what you want me to say and how you want me to say it? Number four, the fourth thing I do that destroys my home. I'm inconsistent with my speech. I'm inconsistent with my speech. James 1.26, I love this. If you claim to be religious, but don't control your tongue, you are fooling yourself. And your religion is worthless. Have you ever thought about this? If, th this is strong. Preston, if you think you are religious, but you're not controlling your tongue, you are fooling yourself. And you need to know something, Preston, about your religion. It's worthless. Okay, let me illustrate this. And this might hit a little too close to home for all of us. Every weekend I'm here, I watch out in the lobby hundreds and hundreds of you be so sweet to one another. During meet and greet, it's one of my favorite sounds in our church because you all are so kind to one another. And you know what concerns me sometimes? Is some of those same people who are so sweet and so kind in the lobby and during meet and greet can't even make it to their car without berating someone that lives in their own home. Here's a one-liner if that's your struggle. How you talk in the living room of your home needs to be better than how you talk in the lobby of God's house. One of the fastest ways for me to lose my family is to talk better to you than I do to them. Like if you don't think my kids are watching me in the lobby to see how I treat you, and then if that is there for commensurate with how I treat and talk to them, you're crazy. They are watching me. And one of the fastest ways I can tear down my home is to be a hypocrite, to treat you better than I treat them, to talk better to you than I do to them. Let's talk about work for a minute. Let's say you work at Dutch Bros, not that other place, Dutch Bros. If you've ever driven up to a Dutch Bros or walked into one of the walk-in Dutch Bros or gone to the window at a Dutch Bros, you're gonna notice something. And I love Dutch Bros. These are the most bubbly and friendly people God has ever created. Like it just makes you, if you go early in the morning and you're not quite feeling on top of your game, conviction hits you immediately. And let me just remind you, it's only because they've already had eight shots of awesome espresso. <laughs> like, like, they're awesome, and clearly Dutch knows how to hire great and friendly people. They would be the best greeters in every church. Okay, but let's just imagine you worked at Dutch, and one of your family members, somebody in your home, maybe a roommate, comes into Dutch, and you've been just on a holy, unholy, we'll say, unholy tear at home. Just harsh words flying out left and right. And then they decide they're gonna come visit you at work. And you, they walk in and you give them the, hey, how's it going? You having a great day today? And they're like, what are they putting in your espresso? The same mouth 
that's been cursing me is now blessing me? Here's one of my favorite one-liners of this message. Never talk better to the people your boss pays you to like than you do to the people God has given you to love. When you go to work, do you talk better to your boss than you do to your kids? Because he, he or she has the power to promote you? Why, think about, why would I give someone, I might, don't take this, I don't know how long I'm gonna be working, the elders could fire me tomorrow. Why would I ever talk better to anybody over the way I talk to my own wife and kids? There's no good reason other than being fake. When I'm inconsistent with my speech, when I talk better to you than I do to them, you talk about a lightning fast way to tear down your home, especially if you have teenagers. Whew. Be careful. Number five, and this one's gonna surprise you. I don't tell you what I need. I destroy my home when I don't communicate my needs. See, this is a little bit of a reprieve so that we all feel like we're getting a win in the middle of this thing. <laughs> have you ever noticed that humans have the horrible habit of assuming everyone knows your needs without us ever needing to communicate them? Have you ever noticed this? Like we turn everyone in our life that loves us we force them to become mind readers. If you love me, you should just know. Well, I don't. I'm not God. I don't know what your needs are. You don't always know what your needs are. How would I always know then? Okay, listen. I, I, every once in a while I get, I get asked, uh, you know, what are you gonna start writing? And my answer is always the same, whenever God says. And I feel like it's starting to become time. And I think, I wasn't always sure this would be book number one. Uh, but I, I think, after this last 14 months, I think book number one is going to be Needy by Design. And the first sentence of this book, I'm going to give you a preview of coming attractions. The first sentence of this book is a stunner. You ready for it? This is the first sentence of the book. You are seriously high maintenance. Don't you think people will buy, they will fly off of the shelves. You can just tell, I'm not writing books to sell them. I only want to write out of obedience. You are seriously high maintenance. Someone needs to tell you that. You've tried to convince yourself that you, you are low maintenance and you don't have many needs. No, no, no. You're human. You have more needs than you can wrap your mind around. Want to know why? God made you that way. And we've turned being needy into a bad thing. I don't get mad at my car when, it, when my dash says four miles until empty. Anybody else take it that far? I like just to know how much reserve tank I have. You don't yell at your car when it needs fuel. Why do you yell at yourself when you need something? 
Okay, you have needs. And somebody needs to tell you, it is really dangerous for the people you love to have to become a mind reader and figure out your needs without you ever communicating them. I saw something this week that I've never noticed. Matthew chapter six, I've said for years, my favorite chapter in the New Testament. And in it, and part of it, Jesus is teaching on prayer. And I just wanna read you one verse, verse eight. Jesus, when he's talking about prayer, says, your father knows exactly what you need even before you ask him. That's pretty awesome. He knows what I need even before I ask him. That makes me feel better. Like you just know. God, you love me so much. It isn't just that you know everything. You know me completely. And you know what I need even before I ask you. Okay, that's awesome. But I noticed a a corresponding verse that I've never connected with Matthew 6, 8. Philippians chapter 4, verse 6. Also speaking about prayer. Don't worry about anything. Instead, pray about everything. Tell God what you need. And thank him for all he's done. Then, after you tell God what you need and thank him for all he's done, then you will experience God's peace. Okay, hold on just a second. Jesus says, your father already knows what you need before you ask him. But God's word also says, make sure you tell God what you need. Okay, I've never noticed this connection before. And so I started just just wondering, okay, why, Lord? I mean, really, if you already know what I need before I ask you, why do I need to tell you? Anybody ever wondered that thought? And I think we put that on the people we love. God loves me. God knows what I need. Even before I say it, I don't even need to ask him. That's not what the Bible says. The Bible says when you pray, make sure you tell God what you need. Why does God say, I know your needs, but I want you to tell me what they are? Let me give you an equation. And you can write this down if if you kind of have a struggle in the area of communicating your needs. A, you have needs. First part of the equation, you have needs, own it. B, God knows every one of your needs. C, the people in your life know very few of your needs. That's a big jet right there. Some of you are like, is Jesus coming back? That's not what it's going to sound like. It's a trumpet peep standing in Trump. Just Here's the last part of the equation. D, God wants us to constantly communicate our needs to the one who knows so that it is more natural for us to communicate our needs to the ones who don't know. It's genius. He says, Preston, listen, I already know your needs. But Holly doesn't. The kids don't. Your best friends don't. And so I, through our relationship, I am going to build up the muscle of communicating your needs by telling you to tell me what they are so that it's much more natural for you to communicate your needs to the ones who have no idea what they are. Some of you are being liberated in this point from having to hide your needs because you thought it was bad that you had them. No, it's actually bad when you hide them. Honey, I just need a break. Honey, I just need you to take me out tonight. 
I, honey, I just need an hour of silence. Or you have roommates. I need you to stop drinking from my milk. <laughs> that was a big one for me when I had roommates. <laughs> stop touching my stuff. And don't put your mouth on my milk. I'll cut you. <laughs> okay. Hey, be liberated. One of the ways you build up your home is you communicate your needs consistently. Don't make us guess. We love you. We love you. And we want you to get what you need. But don't make us guess what your needs are. It's only going to tear us apart. Number six. The sixth thing I do that destroys my home. I'm quick to speak. It's a tough one for me. I get paid to talk. I have to remind myself when I go home, here, I'm not paid to talk. James 1.19, understand this, my dear brothers and sisters, you must all be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. Here's the reality. You're either quick to listen and slow to speak or quick to speak and slow to listen. You're either quick to listen or quick to speak. And here's what we all kind of need to be reminded of. This is true of everyone in our home, everyone in our lives that loves us. The people you love would rather be heard by you than hear from you. Here's how you know, everyone's favorite subject is themselves, not you, not me. The people you love that are in your life would rather be heard by you than hear from you. You know, love speaks many, many languages. But you know the most valuable language love speaks? Listening. The language of listening is the most valuable language love speaks. There's a verse. I, I took it out of my notes. They can put it up. It's Proverbs 17, 28. This is like a life verse for me. And if you're ever wanting to know how to get ahead in life, I think Proverbs 17, 28 is a genius verse to use. Even fools are thought wise when they keep silent. With their mouths shut, they seem intelligent. When people ask me, back, back in the day I, I, in Dallas, when I got on the board and I was the youngest elder, I would get asked, how, how did you become an elder? I would laughingly say, I was just quiet. And apparently they thought I was really wise. I was just quiet. I never said anything. Even a fool is thought to be wise when silent. Here's another way to say that. The second I open my mouth, I remove all doubt. Oh, yeah, I wasn't sure. Now I know he's dumb. Just be quiet. Okay, listen. When I am quick to speak, it means I am slow to listen. And if I'm gonna be quick to listen to the ones I love, I need to learn to be slow to speak. 
Number seven. Seventh thing I do that destroys my home. I give my opinion more than I give God's wisdom. Another one that's hard for me. I'm a one on the Enneagram. Any other ones? Any eights? Do we have any eights? Okay. There are a few on the Enneagram that, that struggle with this one. Proverbs 12, verse 14. Wise words bring many benefits. You know what I wish that verse said? Preston's words bring many benefits. Because I would put that on every wall of my house. Daddy's words bring many benefits. My husband's words bring many benefits. Unfortunately, it doesn't say that. It says wise words, not my words. Wise words. The wisdom of the one who is always right is infinitely more valuable than the opinion of the one who is often wrong. The people in my home don't need my opinion. They need God's wisdom. What percentage of the time when someone you love comes to you for advice, do you dispense your opinion instead of God's wisdom? Did you know that you work best in your home when you're like a godly wisdom Pez dispenser? When the people you love come to you needing wisdom and just go, Daddy, I'm not sure where I'm supposed to go to college. She doesn't need my opinion. She needs God's wisdom. Daddy, I'm struggling in the area of dating and I need some wisdom. Okay, here's one of the things I've learned. When I all too often give them my opinion, it is rare for them to come to me for God's wisdom. Isn't it amazing that God wants to use you from time to time in the lives of the people you love to dispense godly wisdom that quite possibly could alter the trajectory or direction of their life. I don't want to give my opinion. My heart is to give God's wisdom. But I have this strong muscle in regards to my opinion sometimes. And here's what you need to remember. If you go long stretches where the people you love don't ask you for God's wisdom, they're already telling you. It's because when they talk to you, they get too much of your opinion. It's not because you're dumb. It's because they're actually praying about what they wanna ask you about. And you're not God. And they want help hearing what God is saying about what they're praying about. Number eight, the eighth thing I do that destroys my home. I'm not a safe place for you to speak. Proverbs 15, verse one, a gentle answer deflects anger, but harsh words make tempers flare. When those you love come to share their heart with you, how do you respond? Unfortunately, 
this is an area where I've struggled in the past and still struggle from time to time. Where they may come to me in pain or fear and I respond with too much strength. I try to fix it instead of just get in it with them. Two of the biggest things, mistakes we can make when the people we love come to share their heart with us, I'm not present and I'm not appropriate. It's a big mistake I've made too many times. And one of my kids has come to share their heart with me and I was busy and I, I just wasn't present. And the message I was communicating to them is I don't care enough about you, let alone what you're saying. Because I got all this more important stuff I'm thinking about. And then the other mistake is we're not appropriate. We're harsh when we should be gentle. We're strong when we should be soft. We're insensitive when we should be sensitive. Are you a safe place for the hearts of the one you love? When I'm not a safe place, I'm tearing down my home little by little, brick by brick. And here are the last two, and possibly the most important two. Number nine, and this is a biggie. One of the biggest ways I destroy my home is when I hurt you with my words. When I hurt you with my words. I don't know if you know this, and this is a strong one-liner, but the easiest way to abuse someone and get away with it is to use words. Unfortunately, no one's being arrested for verbal assault at the same rate people are being arrested for domestic assault, physical violence. The fastest way to abuse somebody is just to use your words. And you can get away with it, unfortunately. Not with them. But the rest of us will never know. Ephesians 4.29 says, don't use foul, so dirty. Don't use dirty or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. Okay, when I was growing up, I grew up a PK. Uh, I, I think my focus was more on dirty words. Don't use dirty words. Don't use profanity. But it's interesting that Ephesians 4.29 says, yeah, don't, don't use that foul language, but also don't use language that hurts. Don't use abusive language. Ephesians 4 basically addresses both sides of words. Words can build up. Words can tear down. It's the construction and demolition of our vocabulary, our words. And here's what you need to remember about construction and demolition as it relates to your words. The speed of demolition is 100 times faster than the speed of construction. Those who are closest to me know I'm not good at building things, literally. I, I'm not a carpenter. I've never really built anything until my wife told me she wanted chickens and a chicken coop. 
And so I go into research mode and I basically research how to build a Taj Mahal for chickens in my backyard. It's like an apartment complex back there. Two stories, and I'm not exaggerating. It's a couple hundred square feet. For the roof, I use two by sixes. We could have a hurricane, a tornado, and an earthquake come through, and that thing ain't moving an inch. I dug down into the ground a foot and two feet out and put chicken wire so that burrowing animals couldn't get into my coop. I wear this like a badge of honor. I've never lost a chicken to anything other than natural causes. And I have coyotes, bobcats come through our yard all the time. I've never really built anything, but that was like the first big thing that I built. And don't make fun of me, but it took me months to build. Okay, some of you, it would have taken you, taken you a weekend. Me, it took me months. And here's one of the sad realities. That's something that took me months and a ton of money to build. I could literally go home and tear down in less than 10 minutes. That's just depressing. I worked so hard to build up this thing. Knowing I could tear it down in minutes, someone could buy my house and go, really? And they could tear that thing down in minutes. Here's the one-liner related to our words. What took an entire season to build can be torn down with a single sentence. Well, who does this? Proverbs 12, verse 18 says, some people make cutting remarks. Some people make remarks that draw blood. Okay, let's talk about this. And let me just say um, that we can all be guilty of hurting people with our words. But I'm going to show you what I believe to be the biggest reason why we ever hurt people with our words. And you might not like it because most of us don't want everybody else to know this is what's going on in our hearts. Matthew chapter 12, verse 34 says, whatever is in your heart determines what you say. Here's what that means. When your words hurt the people you love, It is undeniable evidence that I am battling hurt deep in my heart. The more you hurt others with your words, the more broken your heart really is. Because only a wounded heart would ever seek to wound another heart. That's what Matthew 12, 34 is helping us understand. And here's what's really scary. The extent to which my heart is hurting is the extent to which my words will be hurtful. It can't be denied. The more you hurt someone with your words, the more you're hurting. It's not the more bad you are, you're just bad. Because you hurt somebody with your words. No, 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 understand. Catch yourself when you're hurting someone you love with your words. Understand, it's because 
hurt is exactly what you are dealing with in your heart. Words are more easily forgiven than they are forgotten. I know when we say a lot of hurtful words, we convince ourselves, they know I don't fully mean it. They know I love them. They might, I hope they do, but they'll never forget. Words are a lot more easily forgiven than they are ever forgotten because words leave marks when we cut them with our words. That leads to the last thing. The 10th thing I do that destroys my home, I don't heal you with my words. You might say, well, Preston, I'm not abusive with my words. That's great. That's also like me saying I'm not a murderer. And therefore, that makes me a good person. The absence of abuse does not automatically mean an abundance of healing. Here's what I know. Humans have hurts. The people you love have hurts in their heart. Wouldn't it be an amazing thing if God trusted you enough to use you to do something about healing the hurt in their heart? See, this is why I think the enemy tries to get us to give into the temptation to hurt the people we love with our words so that then we are therefore disqualified to do something about healing the hurt in their heart. Do you heal the hurts in the hearts? the people you love by using your words. I'll read you the other half of Proverbs 12, 18. Some people make cutting remarks, but the words of the wise bring healing. It's not enough to simply not abuse. We need to be healers with our words. How many of you noticed the image on the screens behind me? Anybody notice that? Okay. Anybody wonder what that is? Anybody get distracted by that kind of stuff? Like, what is going on behind Preston? Anybody figure out what it is? It's a feather and a bone. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 15 says, a soft tongue will break a bone. If a soft tongue can break a bone, can you even imagine what a harsh tongue, what a wrong tongue, what an unrestrained tongue can do to the human heart? If a soft tongue breaks a bone, God has given us this gift to steward. And it has the power to tear up, to build up, or to tear down. If you put a marker in James 3, let's read it, and then we're going to finish doing something together. James 3, verse 7, this preaches the message. You'll you'll think, Preston, why don't you just read this at the beginning and we all could have gone home. James 3, verse 7, people can tame all kinds of animals, birds, reptiles even, 
and fish. But no one can tame the tongue. It is restless and evil, full of deadly poison. Sometimes it praises our Lord and Father. And sometimes it curses those who have been made in the image of God. And so blessing and cursing come pouring out of the same mouth. Surely, my brothers and sisters, this is not right. Every person you love can receive one of two things from you. Blessings or curses. Life or death. Unfortunately, they don't get to decide what they get from you. You do that. And so my question to all of us is, how much longer will we continue destroying our homes? Sometimes we end the service, I would say oftentimes we end the service after the message with worship through song. But that's not the only way we worship God, is with song. There are lots of ways to worship God. And one of them is work. Work is worship. And so we're gonna wrap this service up over the next couple of minutes, not by worshiping with a song, but by worshiping with some work. You do realize that my goal in preaching and teaching is not to get you all riled up and excited. To me, a good message is not one that you get excited about. To me, a good message is when God speaks and you do something with it. And so, I'm gonna put up our 10 points in the form of questions. And I want you to take a few moments alone with the Lord. If you're married, not with your spouse right now. You can talk about it later. This is you and the Lord. And I want you to answer all 10 of our questions. Am I mindful of the power of my words? Or do I forget that death can come from my tongue? Do I lie? Do I daily submit my tongue to its creator? And go all the way, one through 10. So get out a phone, get out a piece of paper. If you're taking notes, just flip the notes over, write the 10 questions down. If you'd rather not write the questions down and just answer them, that's fine too. But I want you to answer them. Don't be listening to me anymore. Write your yeses and nos. And when you're done with your 10 questions, I want you to assess your bad yeses and your bad nos.
And I want you to take the three that are hardest for you. And I want you to do what we talked about in the message. Take them to the Lord and tell them you need help. Maybe you need to repent. Whatever it is, let's do work right now. Let's evaluate ourselves as godly communicators. And there's not one among us who's batting a thousand. And so anywhere we're experiencing a struggle, let's involve the creator of our mouths and the owner of our mouths in the fight. Let's ask him for help.
this isn't a conversation that I want you to keep going for the rest of the day or throughout all of next week. I believe this is a conversation we are meant to have with God every week. Because our words are so powerful. You know what's awesome about God? There are so many things, so many things that we'll all spend, those of us who believe in Jesus, the rest of eternity searching out his greatness and never coming to the end of it because he's just that great. But one of the amazing things about God is he's not a yeller. You may have been absolutely awful this last season of your life with your words. And it might surprise you that God's not yelling at you. This whole time he's just been saying, it's just because you're hurting. I just want you to deal with it. I want to set you free from it. I want to heal it. Remember God went on record in Exodus and said, I am the Lord your God, the Lord your healer. That's not just physical. If there's a hurt that you've been harboring for years and it's been affecting the way you communicate with the ones you love, deal with it today. Don't do it for them, do it for you. God doesn't want you to live like that anymore. You've been hurting for far too long. You haven't been saying all of these words, bad words, mean words because you're bad just because you're hurt maybe you've just built up some bad habits it might surprise you to hear what God says to you today stop it he's not yelling just stop it person you know what's wrong stop it I want you to stand I want to invite our altar ministry team to come. I know we covered a lot of ground today. I really appreciate you being patient. I could have turned it into two messages, but there's just too much we want to cover in this series. And as we dismiss today, both campuses, if, if you just need somebody to pray with, this is a safe place to get what you need. Go to the Lord with the family of God and just ask for help. Maybe you just need, after we dismiss, to sit back down and do some business with the Lord because this is a holy moment in your heart. Do it. Ask everybody else to be sensitive as you leave because Thursday night, there was a lot of lingering and it was holy. Please just be sensitive as you leave. There are some among us, and it might be you, that need to keep working for a little bit. That's awesome. It doesn't mean you have more to work on than everybody else. It means you actually have the courage to work on it faster than everybody else. So if you need prayer for anything at all, maybe you don't even know Jesus, and you thought he was a yeller, promise you 
the closer you get to him, the more aware you'll become. That's not how he talks. If you want to meet him today, one of my friends would love to introduce you to him. It won't just change your life, it'll change your forever. I'm going to pray a blessing over you. We'll be dismissed, and if you need prayer, come get it. God, thank you for being so gracious. Thank you for the sweet way you speak to us. I'm so sorry, God, for all of the times I've not sounded like you. I'm sorry for the times that I've spoken to my kids and sent them a message that you were something different than what you were. I was made in your image. I want to sound just like you. I want to sound just like you with everyone I ever talk to. God, that's our heart. Because you're just that good, and we want everyone to know your goodness. Thank you for being so gracious towards us. Thank you for not being a yeller, but being a lover of my heart. You correct me. There's no doubt about it. but I've never known you to scream at me. God, you were asking your church to strengthen our homes. Help us, Holy Spirit. Help us. We need your help. We need your wisdom so that we can walk in God's ways for the betterment of all of those we love. And Lord, if there's anybody who's harboring a really heavy hurt, I beg you. Guard the doors. Don't let them out. Don't let them go one more day hurting the way that they are. God, I ask you to heal their hurts and their hearts today. Please, don't let them fall asleep tonight without healing their hearts. God, we love you so much. Be with them as they go. In Jesus' name. Thanks for joining us today. For more information about Gateway Church, please visit us at gatewaylife.com. Have a great week.